You are listening to the Willpower Podcast. Welcome to the show. I am Will Holdren, and I talk with some of the most influential CEOs, entrepreneurial leaders, and thought leaders to try and reveal the secrets that has led to their success. I believe that with the right knowledge and mindset, you can do anything you set your mind to. So if you want to learn how to change your life for the better, if you want to learn how millionaires actually became wealthy, or if you want to develop and start your own business from the ground up with the right knowledge to help you, then you are in the right place because this is the Willpower Podcast. I cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest, but first, if you have enjoyed an episode, then please, please open up Apple Podcasts and hit that subscribe button. And if you think we deserve it, scroll to the bottom, select write a review, and leave us a five-star rating with a review that states where you are from and one aspect of the show that you love. Once you do that, send me a screenshot and I will feature you on a future show and shout you out on my Instagram that has over 10,000 followers. Now let's get to the show with our newest guest. How's it going, everyone? My name is Will Holdren, and I am the host of the Willpower Podcast. Today, our special guest, his name is Clay Kelton, and Clay is actually a realtor and team leader that is out in Tennessee, and he is with EXP, so it was absolutely an honor to have him on here today. So, Clay, thank you so much for joining me. Will, thanks so much, man. I'm grateful to be here. Of course. I appreciate it. I'm excited for it. And so to start off, I kind of go into your childhood a little bit. So can you kind of talk about what your childhood was like and how it kind of affected and made you who you are today? Yeah, man. Um, I grew up um, in, a, in a great home. I've got two brothers. I was the youngest of three. Grew up in the, the Brentwood area, just south of Nashville, Tennessee, about 10 minutes. And uh, we grew up on a little bit of a, I call it, a, now I'd call it a hobby farm. It was 40 acres of uh, woods and land and learned how to, how to work on the land uh, by necessity of picking up sticks and you know, doing the things that needed to be done. And um, so I, you know, at a young age was kind of uh, taught to work, I guess. And mom and dad had a real estate company uh, growing up that, that it was a brokerage. And then mom also did property management uh, for a long time. And then, you know, as I came back from college, um, they were still doing that business and, um, I guess my real estate journey kind of started with my, one of my older brothers, Jeremy had, um, had bought, he was in, he was very interested in, he was buying a couple of different properties and, uh, rental properties. Mom and dad had always had some rental properties. And so it was just kind of was in our blood. And, um, yeah, he got me watching Jeremy, you know, buy a duplex and teach me about an amortization schedule and interest rates and all this stuff I had no clue about kind of sparked my interest in the, just the real estate world at all. Very cool. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where, where it all began. Yeah. Very cool. And so you mentioned that you also went to college. So what was your major at college? Yeah. Uh, I was, uh, studied industrial design at Auburn university and it's kind of a cross between art and engineering. And so, um, it, uh, I, I love the major. It was a lot of it was designing consumer products. And I would say the one thing it really taught me was to everything I look at to figure out how could it make it better? How could I improve it? How could I make, you know, a chair more comfortable or a water bottle more uh, ergonomic, you know, so it kind of 
gave me a lens to like uh, look for potential and things. And um, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, I, I don't use it day to day now in the same ways, but I did come out of college and worked for a luggage designer and a toy maker and a concrete decorative concrete company for a period of time. And so I got to exercise some of those creative muscles, uh, which was pretty cool. Gotcha. And then after that short period of time, you actually used your degree, you switched over into real estate. Um, yeah. And so do you, do you regret it all? Like going to college, getting that degree, even though you ended up going into real estate, you still think that was all worth it? Man, good question. Um, I don't regret it at all. It was, uh, at the time it was very stimulating, you know, to, to, to learn new skills, to learn how to draw, to think creatively. Um, and you know, I made a ton of, uh, met a ton of great people. I met my wife in college, um, and still, we still go back and, um, it was a, it was a special time for sure. So I'm super thank super thankful for it. I also learned how to whitewater kayak while I was at Auburn, surprisingly enough. And it was a huge passion of mine for 10 or 15 years, um, after the, after college. So it was good, man. It was really good. Awesome. And then you transitioned to real estate after that, which is super cool. Cause obviously it's like a family thing. You're both the parents were in it, your brother was in it. And so did you jump right into doing investing with your brother or did you get a real, real estate license right away? Yeah. So I, um, my first foray into it was I, I started looking for properties just because, you know, it was kind of like, man, my brother bought this duplex and he's going to make, I don't know, 200 bucks a month. And it's just kind of the idea of, of, you know, passive income or of investment. It was just a cool thing. So my first, uh, you know, bold step into it was to buy a $30,000 one bedroom house um, in a little area called Woodbine outside Nashville. And it was just the right amount of risk. You know, I, I'm very conservative and very risk averse. Um, the idea of taking a taking on $30,000 of debt and having a $250 a month mortgage when you're, you know, in your low 20s, it was still daunting to me. Um, and so I was able to rent that house for 500. It didn't need much work. It was a one bedroom house, which I think is why a lot of people passed over it. Didn't need hardly any work. And uh, I started making that 200. I managed myself, started making that 200, 250 bucks a month. And I was like, man, something just clicked. I was like, you know, I learned how to be a, a landlord. I learned how to interact with tenants, uh, how to manage a property, how to, just navigate all that. It can be really scary at first. Um, but I learned so much from it that, uh, it gave me confidence to go, okay, I can do this. And then I went and got a duplex and then I went and got another one. And then I got a, a house, um, which is in the, now a, a really hot area of Nashville in the 12th South area. I bought, I bought a foreclosure for 105,000 and, you know, it had bars in the windows and, you know, my wife was, my wife, we were dating at the time. Um, she's like, I'm not going to come visit you in this house. This, what are you doing? And I was like, man, this is a great location. Look at this. You got the university, you got the interstate. I just felt like it was a matter of time. I could kind of see it coming. And then I got roommates there and lived there for three, four years and, you know, was able to live for free because I had roommates and it was just, it was the best thing I ever did. Wow. But, uh, but it all started with that first little step, you know? Yeah. That first scary step. And you make it sound like we just bought a $30,000 house and you're getting 250 in cash flow every single month. 
And obviously a lot of people do know the secrets about real estate and why it can be so effective, but yet like so many little people actually decide to go into that industry or get investment properties for themselves. And I'm just curious, like, why do you think that is, do you think that fear is just the main concern that people have that it can never go over that hump? Man, you know, um, they hear the horror stories of, you know, either phone calls on a Friday night, the plumbing's backed up. Like, how do you handle stuff? I think as adults, it's a little more logical. But when you're a 20-something-year-old, you know, kid, it's like, yeah, it is kind of scary. It's like, what happens if the air conditioner goes out? It's five grand to replace. You know, you got to be thoughtful about it. Um, but, and I forgot the question, but uh, I just feel like starting small gives you confidence. I do think it can be... And there's ways to mitigate that risk. You know, if you're financially, you need to have some reserves. You need to plan on some vacancy. Um, you need to have a rainy day fund. But if you set yourself up at the property and get it in good condition to begin with, you don't need that stuff immediately, you know. And so um, I think it's just scary financially for people. And then the idea of being a landlord and getting a nightmare tenant scares people. Um Anything, any of the risk and, and fear can be mitigated if you're thoughtful about it and if you have the right people helping you, you know, yeah. you're getting good advice. Um, but it is still, it is still scary. I, and I don't, if I had, if it was a $150,000 entry, I may have never have done it. You know, it took me finding something so small where the consequences were like, you know, 250 a month to really get the confidence. Uh, and I'm, but I was probably also more scared than most people, you know, just like thinking the worst case scenario is what all can go wrong. Uh, but man, it's the best thing I ever did. Yeah, you know, you gotta start somewhere. It pays off for sure. And uh, did you have a property manager at all or were you the one managing all your properties? You thought about? Um, I managed them all, which it honestly uh, was super educational and super, super helpful for me uh, because if you're managing them yourself, you're going to care more you set those leases up in the right way. You pick who, you know, who are the tenants going to be? Um, Cause that honestly can, you know, can make or, or break the whole experience. You get one nightmare tenant, you'll never want to be a landlord again. Um, and so I learning a lot about, you know, um, setting the expectations up front with tenants is huge and just having a good lease um, and just communicating well and, you know, staying on top of things. Um, it was, yeah, it's just really important in my opinion. Yeah, definitely helps. And um, you said then you went into some other properties. You did some house hacking, lived in one half, ran out the other half. And you bought, I think, another house for investment property. So how were you able to fund all these deals? Were you just you know, getting loans? Yeah. Or you have that money just on tap? No. So I had, um, I actually had a, a job staying in concrete that I was a salary employee for, and I was not making a ton of money. I had great flexibility. And I enjoyed the job for a year or two, but I kept that job uh, primarily because I knew I could get mortgages as long as I had a pay stub. And so over the course of two or three years, I think I kept that job and picked up. It was at least two or three properties during that time because I'd rent them out, um, you know, and then I was able to to use some of that income on my next tax return and just just enough. And these are fifty thousand dollar duplexes, 60, maybe 100, you know, the first several ones. But I kept that job strategically, even though I knew I wasn't going to do it forever. I knew if I quit my job and became a real estate agent at 1099, you guys have two years of tax returns to qualify for that next loan. So that was one piece of the puzzle for me just to parlay one into the next. And then 
my wife had a job. We got married at some time in that process and we ended up, she had a W2 job. So we put a duplex in her name, put two duplexes in her name and she was able to participate and help me, help me start building some rental properties. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, but you got, yeah, you got to figure out those rules. And, you know, I, I was always a fan of like the long-term 30 year loan, low payments, lock it in. And so that's the direction I went. Right. And so how much cash flow are you guys generating? Like with your first five properties you guys had, you're being started. Man. Um, I don't remember exactly, but I remember it's probably 400 bucks a property would be like, um, four or 500 properties where I kind of like to live. I, if it's less than that, I was like, I have a hard time getting as excited about it. Right. But my, my goal was to get 10 by the time I was 30. And I think I got 10 by the time I was 28. And so I was picking up one or two a year, just, um, you know, as I could and I, as I could find them in areas that I was excited about. And so, uh, you know, by the time I was 30, it was, it was enough to pay. I mean, it was enough to pay our living expenses and have financial freedom, you know, to pay the bills, but, um, it wasn't, you know, I still would like to have more, uh, and there's still a lot of stuff I passed on that I, you know, I was buying what I could at the time, but I would love, you look back and you're like, man, I wish I'd bought more. The neighborhood's gone crazy and values have gone up, yep. but I'm super thankful for what I got too, man. Yeah, of course. And so I'm kind of curious, like you, you're doing so well on the investment side of things. What made you want to become a realtor? Like obviously you didn't have to. So what was, what was your decision-making process? Well, yeah, you know, it was, I got licensed, I think in 2003 and the first, um, gosh, I'd say till the first eight or 10 years, it was like, uh, you know, not a struggle, but it was, it was just work. It's just getting reps in, man. My mom was an agent. So I learned a ton from her. But I think uh, once I had bought a few properties and I had the, you know, people started asking me about real estate and friends and I had a conversation with an older friend of mine who was a real estate agent. He said, man, I think you, you know, it seems to me like you'd be good at this. And um, it took, um, I think he gave me the confidence to go get my license, even though I was in a real estate family. I just it was like, uh, you know, hadn't, you know, you need somebody to kind of believe in you and to help you push you off the cliff sometimes, I think. Um okay. And so it gave me, a, yeah, friends were asking me and I was like, I can, I'm going to help other people go buy some, some houses too. I started, I, I got the bug. I started loving the business, looking at houses every day and then started helping friends. And it just parlayed into people trusting me and wanting to, you know, get me to help them. Very cool. So were, were you with EXP right off the bat or you at the different brokers? Did you begin? Man, no. Um, I was, uh, I, I've only been at EXP for a couple of months, just in late 2021. Um, I made the EXP move. I was at a, my parents had a brokerage that they sold in about 2007, 2008. The market was starting to tank right around then. Yeah. That company got bought out and I've been, at, I've been at a boutique brokerage in Nashville for the last 11 years, plus or minus. Gotcha. So I just made the EXP move recently. Very cool. Very cool. And what was your uh, decision-making process on choosing EXP? Um, so, you know, it, um, my EXP story is a, a friend of mine presented it to me about, I think about four years ago, three or four years ago. And I was like, well, that's a, it's a cool concept. It makes, I like it. It makes sense. It feels futuristic, like the way things are going. Um, 
I just don't know any agents who are with EXP really at the time that are producers, you know, he was an investor friend and, you know, great guy, but this, it just lacked a piece of credibility in my mind, just cause I didn't, you know, nobody in Nashville was doing it. Um, it was, I think a penny stock at the time. And so that I kind of sh just shelved it. And then um, about a year ago, I'm, I've been in a coaching program for the last about three years, the real estate B school. And my coach Lars uh, presented it again about a year ago. And he said, man, um, and, and, and I know the real estate B school does not recommend, you know, flashy new things at all. They kind of vet their services that they promote or that they uh, endorse or whatever you call it. Um, and so he had presented about a year ago. I was like, man, I still like the concept. Uh, and it literally has taken me a year to decide. Like I sat on it for a year just because I don't want change is hard. Right. You know, uh, I'm just a slow mover. I've been comfortable where I've been at. It's been, I've been successful there. It's been, it's been good. Um, but I just, through the coaching program, he coaches people all over the country. And I just have seen these top agents, these top teams. I'm seeing a trend of movement to this company. And on top of that, it's not penny stock anymore. It's, you know, publicly traded. Um, it's got a legitimacy factor, a credibility factor. I think 18 countries right now. So the credibility has just gone through the roof and it's, it's blowing up um, internationally. And so it's just like, man, I, you know, just because there's not a ton of people in Nashville, I think that's, that's okay. There's still, that's probably more the opportunity to help, help it grow. But yeah, so it's, um, it just, just solved a lot of problems. It makes a lot of sense. And I couldn't stop thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Right. Now you're here. So look at that. Yeah. Um, so kind of like, like looking at this year so far, like what have your numbers been this year for a, uh, for a realtor and your team? Yeah. So, um, uh, my partner, Paul and I, we've, uh, we're right at closing out after today, after this closing that I have today or here at the end of the year, it should be right at 37 million, which will make it our best year, our best year ever. Um, and that's only with about 48 closings. So, that's awesome. um, yeah, man, it's been, it's been a fun run. We, you know, we've averaged the last seven years or so 20 to 30 million has kind of been where I've lived. Uh, I'm still in production, you know, at the, you know, I probably do like the line share of the listings and uh, some buyers, but, but yeah, it's been a team effort in, in a sense. We've, you know, we've, uh, we've got one admin, one part-time and then Paul's a full-time agent too. So yeah, that is super good numbers. And obviously, like the market's yeah. been super good this year for realtors. Obviously, with the, how fast things are selling, and so where do you, where do you see the market going? Like in the in next year, man. I, I, I from what I've been reading and sensing is, I feel like it's more of the same. It's going to be another a, a year of appreciation. We saw something like twenty percent appreciation in our market, you know, on average. And um, nothing fundamentally has really changed yet. There's still we're having a migration of people move to Nashville from West Coast from the North you know, leaving some of these other states. And so we, we have a, I don't know if everybody's got the same problem, but we have a, you know, lack of inventory and prices going up, uh, competitive buying situations and interest rates are still low. So I, I think it's gonna be more of the same, man. High appreciation, hard to find properties, uh, people looking further away than they were looking before for new areas where they can afford or, or find houses. Yeah. So I'm up. Yeah. Have you had like a lot of offers that are over asking price this year? 
Yeah, like all of them. <laughs> yeah. I think I heard one that was in our market. You know, is you know, I've I've seen a couple that have been two hundred thousand plus over on a, like a million dollar property. I heard about one yesterday that was a two point one listing. It sold for two point five. You know, nice. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's obviously like with these prices going up, but do you still think it's a good time for investors to like get investment properties, even though the prices are crazy right now? Mm, good question. You know, the numbers have to make sense. Um, the investment game has changed. And at some point, you know, one, one guy I looked up to a lot taught me, uh, he was a, he's a big investor in Nashville from when I was young, he bought a ton of property. He's done really well, but he said, you know, at some point, neighborhoods become cost prohibitive um, that and your taxes and your insurance, no, your taxes and your property maintenance can eventually uh, catch up to you if you don't pay down your properties and pay them off. So the numbers only make sense in some places and a lot of neighborhoods, they don't make any sense to me. You're banking on appreciation if you buy and, you know, can you carry a mortgage and pay the rent with the mortgage? pay the mortgage with the rent. Sorry. Um, so all that to say, I'm, I'm not as big a fan of it in Nashville. I feel like we're getting at the point where the numbers don't make a ton of sense. You know, um, short-term rental properties is probably the place where investors are having the most traction still, but you know, you're spending six, seven, eight billion dollars, you know, lots of money to get these things now. So I, I've been a little bit gun shy on buying more personally. Yeah, for sure. And so I like what you said about how some neighborhoods become like cost prohibitive over the years and stuff like that. So do you think there's like a like a pattern, like how many years does it normally take for like a neighborhood to not become a great investment neighborhood or something like that? Or is there any trends that people can kind of look to? Man, um, I you know, one thing I'll say to that is is I feel like historic neighborhoods tend to appreciate the most. There's always demand for historic neighborhoods. They're usually walkable. There's usually coffee shops they have weathered the storms of downturns better than anywhere else. And so I think, but I think it's just a numbers game. What can you get in rent versus what are the, what's the purchase prices available? You know, um, once you start getting up above 500,000, I don't, the, the numbers don't make as much sense to me, but it also depends on, um, your strategy and do you need that cash flow or is it appreciation game for you? Is it a tax write-off game for you? Because um, rents have gone up too, and you can get four thousand dollars a month or five thousand bucks a month on some of these rentals. It's just right. uh, you know you're playing with bigger numbers now, so you're taking more risk. Can you afford to take those risks? Right. You know. Have you have you ever had a loss on a rental property? Have they all been successful? I've never taken a loss on them. I've had a couple that I've bought that have been kind of break even um, for a period of time, but they were strategic and the appreciation and I may have owned one next to it and it just made sense to, to aggregate, you know, so, um, I've only, you know, I've had, it's been a great experience for me. Um, you know, evicting tenants is not fun. I've only, I've only had to do that once or twice in 18 years. Um, and those were usually tenants that were inherited when I bought the property. Um, gotcha. So, it's been, uh, yeah, it's, I'm not saying you can't lose money. You certainly could. Uh, right. there's a lot of confidence out there cause everything's been going up so long and, you know, it's become a more popular thing to invest in. And I'm certain, but you know, 
I, I started long enough ago where it was just numbers. I was very conservative. The cash flow is healthy. Um, so I think, I, yeah, I wouldn't, I would be cautious if you're just getting into it still. Right. Yeah, for sure. Just like anything out there, you got to be careful with it. Yeah. Um, and so it's super impressive. You never had a loss. I mean, that's got to be like a record or something. So that's pretty cool as well. Well, um, yeah. But for, for people that want to go into investing, like what do you look at when you're looking at investment property? Like what are the key numbers that you're looking at before you pull the trigger on? It's like, like this is a good property. It's just cash flows. It just rents or what's your, what's your main factor? Man, um, my philosophy that has worked pretty well is having uh, some diversity of what you're buying. Like you get multifamily properties for cash flow. And you get single family properties for appreciation and you want both. Um, you know, you, they both you, together, they work better than anything. Cause if you get all multifamily, you're, whenever you sell, if you ever sell, you're only selling to investors because that's the only buyer for a multifamily property. And that means it depends on what interest rates are and what rents are. Whereas on a single family track, um, you, you know, you're it's an appreciation game an end user is always going to be able to pay more than an investor could pay so you, you tend to, to run up on appreciation which is where you can really make more money i think depending on your area but you want you know i always like areas that are in the path of growth as well personally um you know over time things just change and that and can really build wealth uh significant wealth if you're in a path of growth if you buy in the wrong location, um, you may never make any money um, or it may take a lot longer. Gotcha. So, you know, those are two, I guess, kind of thoughts, tracks for you that I've I've considered, but glad to have some of both in my in my holdings. Yeah, for sure. And so another thing you mentioned is that you got to see where the tracks of growth are. So how do you measure like where the growth is? Can you just tell like people are moving into the states that be a good area to investment? Is that pretty much like your decision process on that one? Um. Yeah, I, I tend to look for what are the big anchor, you know, industries for the area. Is there anything new happening? Is there any signs of growth? Is there signs of revitalization? I watch the news for development things. And if a big company drops news that they're going to put a headquarters somewhere, well, you know, yeah. that usually impacts everything around it. And so I think those are passive growth, you know, how uh, how in demand are services, how hard is it to find housing or how, how hard is it to find, um, you know, certain prices, uh, basically what's the demand for an area and then where are things heading? But I like, I really like to see when big companies make moves, uh, because it, it sends out ripples and can completely change the trajectory of an area. Um, right. and then I also am looking at, you know, what's convenient, what locations are convenient, how accessible are they? Uh, if they're really hard to get to, if they're really far from the interstate, it's just always going to be a negative, you know, but if you find a really, a really my favorite would be to find a really uh, incredible location that's really run down still, but it's just in an incredible location. It's just a matter of time and, you know, somebody will come make that big move and it'll change everything. Right. It just makes sense. And so, for example, on what you're talking about, so like Elon Musk and I think it was SpaceX or Tesla, one of the two, they left California, went to Texas. So you would consider California not a great investing spot right now currently in man i wouldn't do it between the earthquakes uh i'd go visit but their 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 policies are just running people out of there man like if the if the, if the government is not making smart decisions that are going to attract people 
you're just going to bleed. Uh, and so go to tax friendly States, you know, it just makes a lot more sense. Um, and that's why people are leaving and that's why the companies are moving and you got to have good government, good policies to attract people and to sustain anything. You got to have a low tax environment. Um, because people are always the wealthy are always going to look at what are my options. If I can pay no state income tax, I'm probably going to look at that. And we've had a lot of people move to, to Tennessee just for that reason, just for taxes. Right. So, you know, there's um, I think it starts with the government for sure. Yeah. Important factors. And so um, I know that for all the other advantages with real estate investing, there's also huge tax advantages that a lot of people don't realize. So in your experience, like what are some of the major tax advantages that come with investing in real estate? Yeah. Um, so I think the ideal is the, the acronym. It's you get income. What is it? Uh, income depreciation. So you can depreciate the property over time. Um, 27 and a half years. You get to write down uh, that that percentage of the property each year. You got equity buildup, which is the E. You got A is the appreciation and you got the L is the leverage. So you can, um, those are the, the ideal is the, is the, is the different advantages to, to real estate. As far as taxes, you get to write off the property taxes every year. You get to write off any mortgage interest every year. Um, and, you know, and most people don't realize that until the end of the year when they've, after they bought a house and they look at their tax return, they realize they actually saved some money because they owned real estate. Um, you know, something else that's, I'm starting to learn more about is the cost segregation, where if you build, I think it's only makes sense don't quote me on this, but if it's more than like half a million dollar purchase, uh, it becomes a significant amount of money that you can depreciate rapidly in the first couple years of ownership. So it makes the numbers make sense a lot more on high, high, do <coughs> high dollar uh, builds or purchases that otherwise may not look very interesting for the cash flow, but the, you know, that cost segregation can help you depreciate a ton and write off a ton of income you know, if you're a high income earner. So that's something else that's kind of uh, gotten my attention here yeah. in the last couple of years. That's very cool. And that's just like, like that can be a decision maker, like depending on how much money you can save on taxes in the long run. Like, yeah, it changes the <clears throat> equation. And, and I'm not an expert on it. Right. Um, my brother has reaped the benefits of it and has kind of put me onto it. But it's definitely uh, moves the needle. Yeah. And so I was always curious about this. So since you have your real estate license and you're in Tennessee, technically, if you bought a property in Tennessee, couldn't you represent yourself as the buyer's agent and still get the commission on that property? Yeah. Yeah, you could. Now, could yeah, you do that sure. out of state as well? Like say you bought a property in Pennsylvania, could you still do that or no? Uh, I don't think so. Not if you're licensed. Um, that's a good question. I mean, you could probably just, I don't know if I'd want to represent myself out of state, honestly. I, I'm a fan of, Pay, paying agents and you know maybe take a referral fee or something but <clears throat> i'm a i don't i usually don't ever have a, a hard time paying an agent because i appreciate and i know the insight they have is worth a lot and i just right. value agents so yeah right wait so could you technically get a referral fee if you referred yourself to another agent saying like, i'm gonna buy an yeah. investment property yeah 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 <laughs> i got a friend who's done that <laughs> Yeah, I want you to do this, help me with this, but we pay me a referral fee. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious, actually. I love that. That's a good strategy. Yeah, and and that's a win-win for both parties, probably. You know, 
Right, right. Both you and the other agent. He still gets paid. You get a little bit of a discount, but you know. Yeah. It makes it more worth it having your license. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so before we run out of time, I should have one more question for you. So kind of like looking in the future, obviously you're doing so much already with real estate investing with your license and your team. And that's growing, which is super cool. So what are your big goals that you want to get accomplished in the next couple of years? Man, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think I'm always in pursuit of some, some passive income. Somebody smart, <clears throat> I think it's Jake Kinder, I heard him say, you know, every person comes to a point in their life where they are going to start looking for passive income. And so you may want to start now. Uh, I'm like, wow, that's really true. I mean, some people, maybe when they're 70 before they think about it, I don't know. I started when I was 20, right. um, you know, something clicked. And so I think there's, um, you know, not passive for passive sake, but it's just for to have the option of things to do and time, time, money, freedom, uh, you know, resources for my family and for people I want to help. And uh, so I, I do want to, um, I'm excited about being at EXP. I think the model makes more sense than anything else. And so I'd love to uh, help other agents, you know, have the opportunity and see, see the opportunity, you know? Um, so I, I, I want to grow my, um, you know, my impact in the helping other agents <clears throat> and I'm going to still continue to invest. We're looking at some properties right now. Um, but yeah, man, I don't, I don't, I don't, sometimes I'll have goals for the year and sometimes I'll just be focused on something I'm focused on and keep working through it, but I plan to keep growing and keep working. Um, I'm grateful to be in real estate. There's no business like it. You know, it's a it's a ton of fun at, a lot of the times, uh, but the risk is that you can also burn out and you can, uh, you know, you, you can be depressed and worn down. Uh, and I think if you have a model that gives you something to be excited about and an opportunity for passive income, whether it's that or um, helping other agents become their best, then I, I think there's so much energy that comes from that. And so. I'm planning on just continuing to step into that, man. Yeah. Well, I love it. I mean, generating more passive income is always a really good goal to have. So like, yeah. See. And so before we head off, is there yeah. anything else you would like to say? And if people want to reach out to you, how can they find you? Um, yeah, man. Um, you can just, you know, Kelton real estate, you can get to me through the website. Um, you know, I'm on the socials too, Clay Kelton, <clears throat> but, uh, Man, I just honestly do. I'm just impressed with you and appreciate um, everything you're doing in the real estate community. And um, you're going to do so well. I'm just grateful to be a part of and I'm grateful that you would invite me to, to come to come hang with you. I appreciate it. This is a lot of fun. It's awesome. Yeah, man. All right, guys, there you have it. Clay Kelton, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. No way that we go is a one-way street. Nothing that we Say we gonna